You're listening to Theology for the Rest of Us. You've got tough questions. We'll try to give you easy answers. Now, here's your host, Kenny Ortiz. Hello, hello, welcome, welcome. So glad to have you. I'm Kenny Ortiz. This is Theology for the Rest of Us, and I'm coming at you from the great city of Minneapolis, Minnesota. Thank you so much for taking time out to listen to this episode of the podcast. This is episode 266, and I'm going to be bringing you an interview that I had a chance to do with a a relatively high-profile author uh, that just came out with a book that I think is fantastic, so I'm going to get to that. Uh, For all of you who are regular listeners, again, thank you for allowing me to have a voice in your life, and just a quick reminder that if you haven't had a chance to do so, please leave a rating or review on whatever podcast app or directory that you are using to listen to this. Those are always a huge, huge help to the show. Just pause this right now. Hit pause. Head on over. Tell the world this is a great podcast. Five stars. You know, a great review. Again, those are just really, really helpful. So thank you in advance. All right. In this episode, I'm going to bring you an interview that I did with Dr. J.P. Moreland, and I'm really, really excited for this. Dr. J.P. Moreland is the Distinguished Professor of Philosophy at the Talbot School of Theology, which is a part of Biola University in California, a really well-known and highly respected college in Southern California. Uh, Dr. Moreland has an undergraduate degree in chemistry. He's got two graduate degrees, uh, two master's degrees, one in theology, one in philosophy, and then he he did his PhD work um, after that at Southern California. Um, He, over the course of his life, has been a church planter. Um, He's been a college professor for 35 plus years now, um, and he worked with Campus Crusade for many, many years. He actually came to faith in Christ through Campus Crusade. He talks about that in the interview. He's been a speaker, lecturer, author. Um, He's written uh, more than 30 books. He's co-authored a few others as well. Uh, He's been a contributor to PBS. He's written for many magazines, many popular websites, and his most recent book that just came out from Crossway is called Scientism and... And secularism. I got a chance to read a chunk of it, and it's really, really insightful. Uh, basically, in the in the book, he he's making the 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 point that science is a good thing, can be really, really helpful, and that we should never attack science. However, there is a philosophy called scientism, which is different and distinct from science. And scientism is the philosophy that, in essence, says that. Only science can matter whenever we are making arguments and that that any proofs or arguments or bits of ideology that come from the realms of religion or ethics or philosophy or politics or even psychology really are completely discounted. In essence, scientism is the the ideology that marginalizes or seeks to marginalize and, and dismiss all data that comes from any genre except from data that comes from specific genres of science. In essence, saying, unless your data that you're using to back up your points comes from these specific genres of science, then your data is irrelevant and doesn't matter. And he is basically talking in this book about how scientism and secularism have really grown. And he really explains in the book why these ideologies are incoherent and they're dangerous. And he really talks about the fact that there are actually other ways to acquire quality information other than 
from these specific genres of the world of science. And he explains in the book uh, why we can indeed acquire quality information and data from other realms and other genres uh, of society, like the world of ethics and philosophy and politics and religion and, and, and other areas. And he basically explains that in the book, and that's what we dialogue about in the interview. I think the interview and his insights are extremely helpful. I think you're going to get a lot out of this. I'm really excited to to bring you this interview. Before I get to the interview, quick apology. I feel like I've done this multiple times over the last several interviews, um, but the, the audio quality is not super great. But this time, it's not because of a tech issue. You know, For those of you who are regular listeners, some of the previous interviews I've had some, some issues with because uh, because of some tech issues I had. This In this case, it wasn't a tech issue per se. It, the audio quality isn't great because we actually did the interview by phone. You know, Typically, I use uh, my computer. We're using Skype or Google Hangouts or some comparable platform. Um, but Dr. Moreland didn't have access to that, to the, a platform like that the day we were doing the interview. So we had to do it by phone and therefore the quality is always a little bit less, but you can still hear it clearly. Um, just push through a little bit and you're going to be able to hear everything. And, and I believe this is, is worth pushing through. So again, I apologize. The audio quality is not great. Um, but, uh, but I encourage you to, to listen all the way through anyway because Dr. Moreland's thoughts and insights are really, really helpful. So without further ado, my interview with Dr. J.P. Moreland. And we are on the line today with Dr. J.P. Moreland from the great, uh, the great region of Southern California. How are we doing today, sir? I'm doing well, and it's really great to be with you, Kenny. It's, I'm, I'm assuming it's a, little, it's a tad bit warmer where you are than I am here in Minneapolis today. Well, I would suspect. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have to know the exact temperature to, put, to, make, that, to make that guess uh, in October. Listen, uh, I'm not going to put you down. I'm not going to give you the temperature. <laughs> well, I appreciate it. Uh, well, Dr. Moreland, thank you so much for taking time out to, to invest in the audience. Really, really excited to have you. Uh, you've got a new book, uh, book coming out from Crossway. Really excited to tell the audience about it. But before we get to that, I would love to just hear your story. Give us a kind of like the 30-second to 60-second version of who you who you are, what you do, and how you end up, ended up to where you are today. Sure. Raised in a liberal church, went to the University of Missouri, majored in physical chemistry. I was presented with a case for Christianity by Campus Crusade staff people. I evaluated it, and I decided that it was really likely to be true, and I gave my life to Christ in 1968. And I worked with, planted two churches and worked on college campuses for 10 years and began to get asked a whole bunch of questions and realized that the ultimate field that all these questions were coming from was philosophy. Mm. So I got a Ph.D. in philosophy. I've been a university professor for 35 years in my heart is primarily that of an evangelist and a disciple maker. So that's why I went into philosophy, to keep Christians from being bullied and to help them have confidence that there are answers to their questions. And that, that is fantastic. Uh, shout out to Campus Crusade, uh, the crew as they go by now. Yes. Uh, great, great ministry. Millions of people have been impacted. Uh, so really great to, great to hear that. Uh, so when you say you, you've had, you were presented with a case for Christianity, I, I'm very curious. I want to kind of dig into that for a moment. What, what were some of the specific things that were said that were most intriguing to you? Well, uh, there, the argument uh, for God's existence from the beginning of the universe, uh, for the, from the design and the need for 
a ground of the moral law, and then uh, the historical evidence that the New Testament documents were reliable, and the evidence that Jesus actually rose from the dead, uh, and that it's better than alternative explanations. So that was basically it. And uh, then I saw changed lives that were really different, and uh, that kicked me over the edge. <laughs> That's you know, it's funny, I, I, I've heard from many people say that. It, it, the evidence is helpful, but the thing that typically grabs people's heart is seeing the power of Christ at work in other people. Yes, it's a both and, not an either or. Right, uh, absolutely. The, both, both the evidence and the power of Christ, the, the, the transformative work, um, that's fantastic. So I'd love to hear more. So you, I know that you, uh, your PhD is from, from USC, University of Southern California, go Trojans, and... And you are, and you currently teach at Biola, is that correct? Yes, it's my 29th year as a philosophy professor at uh, the university, that's right. Uh, and that's obviously a well-known university. And um, so you, you've, got, you, you've got lots of experience in the world of philosophy. So I'd, I'd love to ask you about the new book. Um, and tell, tell us about the new book um, and what was your primary motivation in writing? Yes, uh, the book is Scientism and Secularism. Don't let the word scare you. It's really written at a level for parents, and uh, it, I target millennials, and I'll tell you why in a second. Uh, scientism and secularism, learning to respond to a dangerous ideology. Uh, my motivation was I, was the radical chaos in culture. That The culture is just going crazy, ethically, uh, political. Uh, inability to discuss, and I know where this is coming from, but the average Christian doesn't, because I've been reflecting on this for 50 years. And I, I realized that at the, at the, the reason that people are leaving Christianity and nobody takes Christian claims seriously any longer is because of a set of ideas, and by the way, we are largely at the mercy of our ideas. Uh, we tend to live out what we actually know and be- or think we know and believe. I realized that the fundamental idea that parents, staff, uh, uh, youth directors, and thoughtful believers, believers with doubts, uh, needed to understand was this ideology called scientism. And uh, very quickly, um, knowledge not faith or belief, is what gives people confidence, boldness, and the authority to speak and act in public. For example, a dentist can act in public by by filling a molar. He can speak in public with authority on, on uh, dental implants, and he has confidence because he has a body of knowledge standing behind him. If you said to me, you know, I don't really know a lot about teeth, but I gotta tell you, I've got some very passionately held faith commitments. <laughs> and I'm so passionate that I've, I've actually cut a couple of CDs that sing about teeth. And I got some great hymn music that sings about teeth. I listen to my car all the time. Can I, can I feel your molars? Man, that dude's not getting a hundred miles from my mouth. But, <laughs> and scientism says that, that The only people that actually have knowledge of reality are those in the hard sciences. 
I had a, I, you do evangelism and somebody says, you can't prove that scientifically. Well, they're assuming that the only way you can know something is through science. And where does that come from? It comes from the ideology of scientism. Science is one thing. Scientism is another. Science is wonderful. Uh, most of it doesn't have anything to do with Christianity, as I point out in my book. I don't care if a methane molecule has four hydrogen atoms or, or 15 as a Christian. Uh, but scientism is not science. It's a philosophy of, not, of how we know and what we know. And it says that if you can't prove something in the laboratory, in physics and chemistry and the hard sciences, it's, it is just nothing but idle opinion and blind faith and, and expressions of emotion. So guess what? That means that the religious claims, ethical claims, political claims, all the claims about things that matter to us can't be known. Nobody can know one way or the other. You know, somebody may say, well, there maybe there is a God, but nobody knows there's a God. And, and if there is, nobody knows what she's like or, or they're like or what have you. Well, guess what that does? It completely marginalizes Christianity. And according to a recent Barna study of why millennials are leaving Christianity for agnosticism, all six of the reasons that were at the top of the list were, believe this or not, intellectual. I can't express doubts in church. When I ask questions about my faith, I get shunned or given bad answers. One of them was, the church doesn't help me keep up with science and how to relate my faith to science. Mm. Well, so so if we do not give, pass on to our parishioners and the people we're working with, that you can actually know that God exists. You can actually know the resurrection happened. You can know there's life after death. And you can know that there are moral absolutes and what some of them are. You don't have to just have faith in these things. You can actually know them. Right. But the only kind of knowledge is not limited to science. But do you see what's happened? Uh, if knowledge is limited to, science, to the hard sciences, that means that the issues of our day, the ethical and other issues, can't be known. And so we're free to construct reality and create our ethical system any way we want to. And so it leads to moral relativism. Knowledge is important. And faith is based on knowledge. It is not a blind step into the dark. And that, that, by the way, that's a fantastic, uh, you know, presentation or outline of kind of where we are culturally. Some of the some of the common things that I think Christians run into, um, and and I think sort of the demand that hey, you, you you can't say it with absolute certainty unless you're able to prove it from this one particular genre of our society. Uh, I, 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 for a while, thought this is a ludicrous approach, but I, I get the sense that you're going to do a much better job explaining why it's a ludicrous approach. Uh, well, absolutely. Absolutely. You're so right about that. And I, 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 I finally got to the point, because I, I am now witnessing what this ideology is doing. And it is, it has already wiped out Europe. Christianity is in deep trouble in Europe. 
And it's for this reason, and I'm not the only one saying that. There have been people who have done analyses of the shifts in European culture, and they've identified the, the fundamental reason as, as scientism, believe it or not. Scientism leads inexorably to secularism because scientism says that there can be no knowledge of things outside the hard sciences, and the hard sciences do not address ultimate questions, and so we're free to create them any way we want to. Well, I got tired of this, so I finally thought, well, somebody needs to do something about this, and I was shaving, and I was looking in the mirror, <laughs> which was a bad deal, and it dawned on me, oh my gosh, I need to do something, because <laughs> I've been trained in these areas. So I wrote a book, ultimately, to protect my grandkids. <laughs> Uh, you know, because they're going to be growing up in this. And I've written it at a level that people can understand. There are a couple of tough chapters, but you, you can slug through them. But I'm trying to make this available to the body of Christ so they're not bullied anymore. If somebody mm-hmm. is so that they actually can, un- they could, un- I'm doing three things and then I'll, I'll let, give it back to you. One, I'm trying to I clarify what scientism is so people understand what that ideology is. Secondly, I state why it matters that we know about this. And three, I give a lot of time to showing what's wrong with it so that people then can t- teach their children or in Christian schools. Boy, if you know a, a local school teacher at a Christian school, get them this book, please. Uh, and I, that's not for sales. It's 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 for getting this into the hands of people that are shaping the next generation. I absolutely love that. Uh, by the way, I, the, the thing you just said a moment ago that I think is really important, you know, kind of the desire for Christians to not be bullied um, by those who would who would embrace this dangerous ideology, as you called it. Um, I, I, I'm very curious. Should I, can I give you a, a few examples? I didn't really prep you for this. I apologize. Just, can yes. You, can I give you a few arguments that I've I've heard, or I know yes. Christians that have heard, that in, in my opinion are being I, I would say a bullying tactic. Yes. And go for it. Give me some an, an idea of how you might or how a Christian ought to respond. Um, so, for example, you you have uh, the biology teacher that says to the Christian high school student, um, "The world of biology has already proven that humans have definitely evolved from single cell organisms over the course of millions of years." Um, it's, it's foolish to not embrace that. That's, that's been proven. How do you respond to that? First of all, if it's been proven, why are there so many scientists in biology that are, that are doubting the Darwinian theory and are and opting for intelligent design? The intel, so, so that it has not been proven. Secondly, most biology teachers do, in fact, accept the, the theory of evolution, but not because of the evidence. They accept it because of two reasons. First of all, they were socialized into that view when they were brought into the field as undergraduates and grad students. Evidence, if you try to do a doctoral thesis defending intelligent design, you will be shunned. And I have seen examples of that. So there's a sociological uh, force for there to be homogeneity on this. The second mm-hmm. reason is, and this is this was identified by a secular historian of science, Neil Gillespie, in his book Charles Darwin and the Problem of Creation. 
University of Chicago Press, that the main reason Darwinism was accepted was not because of the evidence. Actually, the creationists in Darwin's day had more evidence than Darwin's theory did. The reason it was accepted and got widespread acceptance was it got theology out of science so that scientists could do their work without having to consult the Bible or theologians. And it so it naturalized science. And so those that's why there's widespread agreement, Mr. Teacher. Uh, it's because there's sociological pressure to agree and because the, you, you've been able to get questions about the Bible out of science. It's not because of the evidence, because there are many qualified people who see the evidence in a different way. And I, I, that's a, and by the way, um, I appreciate you, you just recognize, or you kind of fighting the fact that there are people who, they're not necessarily even embracing biblical creation. Right. They are, they are rejecting. Oh, absolutely. Neo-Darwinian ideology. One quick question. I would ask the person, would you tell me what is the best book that you've read that critiques Darwinism, and what were some of the toughest arguments in that book that you had to wrestle with in reaching your conclusion? And that person, that person will not be able to answer because they haven't read anything on the other side, and they will not know any of the significant arguments. That, that's a great, great point. I, I typically do that similar thing in theology. Whenever, uh, you know, whenever I'm wrestling with someone or having a conversation, I'll say, what, what are the passages of Scripture yeah. you, found, you found hard to wrestle through? Very um, good. Very good. And I, and I use this technique and teach the reader how to do it in my books, uh, Scientism and Secularism. Yeah, that's a really, it's a really, really great. But I, I, I do this, let's say, with Calvinists. Whenever someone tells me they're a Calvinist, which I would, yes. call, I would call myself a Calvinist, I, I say to them, great, you're a Calvinist, me too. How, how did you get past First John 2? How did yeah. you get past First, First Timothy 2? Like the, the passages of Scripture yeah, that were yeah, hard yeah. for me. Yeah. Uh, it's great. As I, I, I do the same thing. With Good technique. Timothy. It's great. Um, all right, the other, the other thing that you've mentioned um, in, in both, you know, in, in your book that I think would be, uh, you know, I want to bring up, some, sometimes people say things like, um, well, you, you, you can't use science to prove faith. Faith is that, it's, 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 that's what it is. It's faith. You have to choose to, to believe something for which there is no evidence. There, that's not faith. That's, there's yes. a difference. Um, I've heard that from people before. How, how would you respond when people are basically demanding uh, this, the separation? Yes. This is such a good question. Um, and, and again, I, I, I did I, I address this more fully in the book because it's so important, and you've nailed this. Um, today, faith means believing something in the absence of evidence. It is a choice to believe that's based on nothing but feeling, perhaps, or a desire for something to be true. That that is a bad way. Faith used to mean confidence or trust based on what we know. So uh, on that view, knowledge or having reasons uh, actually provides the foundation for trust. The more you know about something, that your car, uh, your, your spouse, uh, whatever it might be, assuming that what you, the, the thing you know is reliable, the more you'll be able to trust it. If you don't know anything about a house you're buying, and you just choose to believe that it's going to be a good, it's worth the price. I just have faith in it. You're you're crazy. 
what you ought to do is look into it, find out how old the roof is and so on. And if it turns out that there's, you've got a lot of good reasons for thinking this is one solid house, then you can have trust or confidence uh, and, and purchase it. So this is an unbiblical modern definition of faith, and it's usually a cover for being lazy uh, and not wanting to do your homework. And I, and I have to tell your audience, uh, please, number one, continue to listen to shows like this. The, your show and shows like this are doing so much good. Spread the word about it. Get other people to start listening and engaging. Secondly, I have to say that the most important ideology today to know about is scientism. I'm not just making that up. I spent months writing this book, but, and I didn't want to waste my time. This is Scientism is what is leading people away from the faith, even if they don't know the word. Mm-hmm. And we, you have to be able to identify it and understand why this is not sensible. And so you can give responses to people and do it non-defensively and winsomely. Yeah, that's a. By the way, I, the, way the last thing you just said I think is really helpful. The non-defensively and winsomely, like we, we we don't want to be afraid to stand up for what we believe. No, we don't. We don't want to be afraid to call out some of the absurdities in some of these arguments. Right. But we want to be kind and winsome. Absolutely. In, in the same way. Um, it's a great, great, great point. Um, I, by the way, I want to just, uh, just I want to agree with you. I think people should definitely spread the word about shows like mine. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I mean it. <laughs> I appreciate that. Yeah, and I, I obviously I feel the same way. Um, last thing I'd love to ask you about is something you mentioned. Uh, so I know you talk about in your book is the idea of of how to give Christians, or you have a desire to give Christians the strategies for how to integrate faith and science in these sorts of dialogues or any practical things that the, the typical person listening to this, you know, the, the young, the young person who's, you know, in their mid twenties or early thirties and they're wrestling through some of these yes. concepts. How, what are some of the practical things they may be able to do to integrate right. faith and science in some of their conversations with their unbelieving friends? Okay. 95 in the book, I demonstrate that about 95% of science is irrelevant to Christianity. Like I said, uh, scientific discoveries about the precise structure of a certain cell uh, doesn't really have much to do with biblical doctrine. So I thank I thank God for science, and 95% of it's great. Of the other 5%, 3% of it is actually in favor of what we believe. Uh, science has confirmed uh, biblical teachings, like the universe had a beginning, it's precisely fine-tuned so life could appear, uh, information is what makes uh, organisms alive, and it, it is non-physical, and, and, it, it, and so on. Archaeology is regularly confirmed in New Testament documents. So I say 3% of science is helpful. There's 2% that raises problems. What's interesting about that 2% is that it is not, most of it does not support atheism, and it is not a support denying the resurrection. What it targets is the first 11 chapters of Genesis. So so when the problems that science raises in that 2% uh, are actually trying to undermine biblical authority uh, uh, as the inerrant word of God and the reliability of those early chapters of Genesis. They don't 
they do not imply that their God does not exist, and they actually don't imply that Christianity is true. Uh, you, you could you could accept the truth of Christianity and and believe that the early chapters of Genesis are mythology. Now, I think that's a very bad idea, and I think it would ultimately be harmful to your theology. So don't think I'm advocating that. I'm just saying you've got to understand what these. 2% of scientific claims are targeting. And I would say to somebody who says, well, what do you do with evolution? I'd say, well, first of all, let's not change the subject. What has that got to do with whether God exists and Christianity is true? It's got nothing to do with it. But right. now if we're, if we're concerned about what the reliability of the word, which we ought to be, then that's where we focus on this. And my practical advice is that um, don't jump ship. Um, uh, uh, you do not have to uh, accept theistic evolution. Uh, it, it is not a view that you're required to accept to be intellectually responsible. There are intelligent design models and uh, creationist models that actually make more sense. And you, what you need to do is hear the different sides and, and, and Read a little bit on it. I've got I've got more suggestions in the book Scientism and Secularism. I can't go into, but that's what I would do. But my advice is please don't prematurely think that if you're going to be honest and object and rational, you've got to be a theistic evolutionist. Because I I have a a section in there on when it's reasonable to go against the majority of the experts. And um, I think that we're in a situation where even if the majority of experts are evolutionists, it is rational for us not to be. And I list a set of uh, four criteria for when that's a reasonable thing to do. That, that, is, fan, that is absolutely fantastic. Uh, last argument I'd love to throw at you and love to hear your response. A little bit yes. different than the ones we've heard. Uh, and this, this one revert, re relates to as what, uh, what Al Mohler one of my contemporary heroes frequently refers to as the, the moral and sexual revolution. Uh, yes. when, people, when people come to you and say something like, oh, you, sh you know, you're a bigot because you're a Christian and you're against gay people. You know, you've heard that sort of lingo, I'm sure. Um, right. pe people will say things like, oh, you're being oppressive, you're being hatred, or, or they'll say something like, if you're against gay marriage or if you believe, you know, if you're not pro the, the transgender movement in the way that most progressive secular people are, are advocating yes. it, then you are on the wrong side of history. I'm sure you've heard that, uh, that argument. Yes. You're, you're on the wrong side of history. How should a young Christian respond when somebody are told, you're going to be on the wrong side of history? Well, um, we don't know where history is going to be in 100 years, so you're, I may be on the wrong side of a, a tiny slice of history, but it's pretty un irrational to judge where history is going uh, based on just a slice of it. it, it things could change in 50 years. So that's ridiculous, I would say. The second thing I would say would be uh, the most uh, loving thing that you can do for a friend sometimes is tell them something that, that they might not want to hear but is, is really good for them. And I, I've had friends tell me things, hey, man, you got you got to stop doing X. You know, and I'm thinking, oh, man, you know, you're right. Uh, sometimes we have to hear hard things from friends that we don't want to hear, but it's in our best interest. Now, I would say that that's what we're concerned about because we're we're convinced that that the biblical teaching and the teaching in what's called the natural moral law, which God revealed in creation, which Paul uses in Romans 1, uh, 
implies that we do not we are not made or designed for these kinds of sexual expressions it's just like a car is not designed to ride on the bottom of the pacific ocean and i was on a radio show and a secretary and he asked me, why, why are you against this? And I said, for the same reason I'm against driving our cars in the bottom of the Pacific Ocean. I said, you know, if, I, if my neighbors were doing that, I'd, I'd go tell them, you know what, I hate to tell you this, but you've got to turn this around and stop doing this. Uh, because if you keep doing it, you're going to ruin your car. You're not going to have a car that's going to work well. In the same way with your life, if you, you're not, if you're doing this, these alternative sexual behaviors, they're not in your best interest because they yeah. don't lead to human flourishing because that is not the way you were made to function well. So what I'm doing in being against these things is that I'm actually for something else, and that's promoting the flourishing of the people in our culture and that I care about. And the way to do that is to follow Jesus's and the biblical teaching because they're designed to help us live the, the richest life we possibly can. That's that is a great, great response. Uh, yeah, we're, we're we may be on the wrong side of history, but we want to be on the right side of human flourishing. Oh, dude, you are so right. That, that's a great, great way, to, great way to put it. Um, Dr. Moreland, this has been fantastic. Thank you so much for investing in our audience. Uh, before I let you go, I would love to just ask you if anyone listening to this wants to connect with you or they want to follow you on social media or they want to just kind of figure out what you're doing, what's the best way for them to do that? Yeah, well, I have a website, uh, jpmoreland.com, uh, I think it is. I, I don't keep up with it very much because I'm not a social media guy. <laughs> uh, so I think you can go there. But uh, the book uh, uh, is available on Amazon. I think the best way to get it is just to go to on Amazon and, and put my name in and scientism and secularism. That's the best way. And we'll make sure we have uh, both your website and the, the link to Amazon linked up in the show notes for this episode so people can go to our website and, and, get, a, and get that easily as well. well. Thank you, my friend. Dr. Moreland, again, thank you so much for investing time. I really, really appreciate it. I believe this is going to be really helpful to our audience. It's been my pleasure. And there you have it, my interview with Dr. J.P. Moreland. Hope that was helpful and insightful to you. Again, I apologize that the audio quality uh, wasn't spectacular because we did the interview by phone. Uh, but nonetheless, hope the content was encouraging, insightful for you. I encourage you to, if you're interested, get a copy of the book, get it on Amazon, or you can head over to our website, uh, theologyfortherestofus.com. Look at the show notes for this episode, episode 266, and we'll have a, a link there where you can get the book. You can also visit Dr. Moreland's website. He's got some resources there. He's got some really great stuff. He's also got uh, loads of other books on various topics related to philosophy, apologetics, and theology. Uh, you can you can peruse his uh, his library of books that he's written. Uh, many of them are really really helpful. Uh, overall, as as uh, bringing this to a close, I want to just encourage you, all of you listening to this, if you are a Christian, just to encourage you to know that the God of the universe, He is real, He is powerful, He is transcendent, and He has given us various ways for us to know Him. There are various ways that He has revealed Himself, uh, His existence, His character. There are definitely areas and genres of the world of science that that, sh that show that and reveal that. 
But there are many other ways that we can ascertain information about God, the existence of God, his character and nature. There are many other sources of information that that we utilize in ethical and philosophical conversation, in in conversations related to morality, politics, um, apologetics, and that that we want to be careful that we don't allow this dangerous and incoherent ideology that demands we use only scientific data to to govern and form our opinions. We, we don't want to allow this ideology to creep in, but we know that there are other ways in which we can ascertain information and, and about God's character um, and ascertain information about what we know to be absolutely true. And of course, the primary means or the primary source of information that shouts to us about the character and nature of God is the Bible, the scriptures. And, and the Bible is uh, adequate. It is sufficient to teach us all we need to, need, need to know about the character and nature of God. And please don't allow this flawed, incoherent, dangerous ideology of scientism to cause you to question that or to believe that the Bible is not sufficient because it absolutely is. Again, get a copy of the book, Scientism and Secularism. I think that'd be helpful to you. Thanks again for listening to Theology for the rest of us. Hope this episode has been helpful to you. If you have a question or a topic that you want me to address on a future episode of the podcast, feel free to shoot me an email. Or if you know someone that you think would be a great interview guest, I'd love to hear from you. Shoot me an email. The best address is heyortiz at theologyfortherestofus.com. That's H-E-Y-O-R-T-I-Z at theologyfortherestofus.com. Or you can find me on Twitter. My Twitter handle is at Kenneth Ortiz. That's K-E-N-N-E-T-H-O-R-T-I-Z. Thanks again for listening. I'm Kenny Ortiz, and this has been Theology for the Rest of Us.